You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. My, my assignment this morning is to really kind of ride the wave of the conference. How many of you were at the conference this past weekend? Okay, a few? Okay, good. So those of you who were here and who sat through all the teaching and the worship, it was so wonderful. Uh, we did an awesome job. I, I just think, <laughs> I'm like patting ourselves on the back. Um, Fabulous job, Pastor Janet, Pastor Romy, um, folks from our Norwalk campus did an amazing job putting it all together, and we expended all this energy to drive into the soul of our church the importance of emotional health, especially in connection with spiritual growth and discipleship, all right? We're not just teaching psychology, We're teaching psychology as an integration between what it means to to be human, which is psychology, theology, knowing God, and discipleship, following Jesus on a daily basis, the integration of those three things. That's what this course is going to present. And here's the reason why. Today's message is all about that. So if you have your notes, and those of you who attended the conference, it's going to be a little bit of review, but from a little bit of a different angle. Those of you who didn't attend the conference, pay attention. This is also for you, especially for you. Here's the main idea behind the, everything we're trying to do with EHS. That if you are not growing in emotional health, you say, what's that? Well, I'll show you in a second, I think. <laughs> that if you're not growing in emotional health, your spiritual growth will be stunted. No matter what you try to do with your spiritual growth, if you are not maturing emotionally, You're going to hit a wall in your spiritual development because spiritual maturity and emotional health go together. You cannot really become spiritually mature as a Christian, as a Christ follower, if you are not growing as well or um, becoming more emotionally healthy. All right, so uh, this is huge because I think on the surface, we all agree with this statement. But what happens is, based on the way we actually live our lives, I think what we really believe is that if we just focus on growing spiritually, the emotional part will take care of itself automatically. But I've been in ministry long enough to know that you can go through all the motions of what it means to be a Christian and do all the stuff that we put out there to tell you to do. Go to life groups, pray, go to prayer meetings, study the Bible, memorize the Bible, go to, and they're all good and they're all important and necessary. Right, so we're not, we're not uh, dismissing all of that. All we're saying is that there's a component that we're adding because if we don't add it, you'll know a lot about the Bible at the end of the day and then go home and continue to kick the dog or maybe even harm your family. Does that make sense? You can, you can be, you know, on the surface knowledgeable about God and even have a certain part of your life and soul that has been touched deeply by the Lord, but whole regions of your inner life that have not been touched by God. Because we just won't go there. That's why we're doing this class. Because it's there that the change really needs to happen. So I know it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel a little heavy-hitting, so I'll try to lighten this up a little bit, okay? But I, I don't know. I just can't. Sign up for the course. You need to go on the journey. When we had, listen, the, emo, the Love Well Conference, we had 140, 
or so people sign up. We had about 150 or so, including volunteers that, that helped with it. A few months ago, when we sat down at the table and said, we're going to do this conference, I told our team, I said, I will be happy if 60 people show up. We had over half of, the, of, of our congregation show up, which says to me, we've touched a nerve. God is doing something in, uh, under the surface of your lives, and the goal of the Christian, we don't do Christianity by saying, God, here's what we want to do, follow us. We look for what God is doing, and we say, how can we partner with you, Jesus? And I think that what Jesus is doing in the life of our church is he's saying to all of us, stop living your life on the surface. Stop living with those masks that you put on every day. I mean, we got to wear masks time to, from time to time. But to live as if that's the new normal, that's not healthy. Let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. Some of you have sat in church all your life and have never gone this deep. I'm here to offer you an opportunity to take your life with Jesus deeper than you've ever been. So this is the journey of emotional, emotionally healthy spirituality. So let me start by giving you, um, well, this thought, that... We live in a world that is so full of pain and disappointment and difficulty that as human beings growing up in this kind of fallen world, we are, our number one, it's almost like our number one goal is to survive. Ever feel like that? I just got to get through this. And what's beautiful about that is that God has designed us. He's made us in his image. And when we, you know, we, the human spirit, the human soul, even the human body has the incredible capacity to handle a lot of adversity. It has the incredible capacity to adapt to adverse environments. I mean, you look at some of these guys that do these. Um, back in the day, it used to be like, we would do a triathlon, right? You know, you swim, you, you run, you bike. And now they got these ultra marathons, right, where the guys are like, they're five, six, seven days. They're running, they're biking, they're swimming, and they're doing it. And they're proving that the human body, the human spirit, the human soul can survive. All I have to do is look at you and say, you're a survivor just because you're here. Because I, I know that many of us have gone through difficult situations, and we've survived. But listen, the gospel, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, and not just life that survives, life that thrives. In his words, life more abundant. So why haven't we been experiencing the abundant life that Jesus offers? I think part of the answer is because we haven't gone to the place that he really wants to change in our souls. So I'm going to unpack a little bit of that today. But let me start by, let me, let me capture that thought for you. You were designed to survive, and you have. Awesome. I know what it's like to be a survivor. But watch God didn't just design you to survive. He destined you to thrive. Tell the person next to you, you're destined to thrive. So you best be thriving. You best be thriving. So let me show you what gets in the way. Here are the top ten symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. How do I know if I am kind of in that unhealthy spirituality category? I can give you 10 symptoms, like surface symptoms. How can you tell? 
The first one is this. You use God to run from God. In other words, you just get enough of God in your life to bless your plans. Just get enough of his word in you to accomplish what you want to do for yourself in God's name, right? That is unhealthy. Second one, you ignore your emotions, especially the, the bad ones, the negative ones, the ones that um, create a little anxiety in us, the, the anger, the sadness, the fear. When you ignore those emotions and you're not honest about what's going on underneath, um, how many of you know that it eventually comes out, right? It leaks out, especially under high-stress situations. It all comes, you know, leaking out. Um, This is interesting because sometimes we can even sit in a church service, listen to a message, have a reaction like anger, like, why did he say that? And just walk away and miss the opportunity for God to come to us in that anger. If we would just take a look at it, say, God, I am so angry. You see what I mean? It's different, isn't it? God, we don't want to live with these emotions sometimes. We've been taught by our family and our culture that these are bad, negative things and they must be silenced. If you're doing this, ignoring that, that's unhealthy, folks. How about dying to the wrong things? We've all been told we need to die to the flesh and the pleasures of the flesh. We need to die to things like defensiveness and lack of vulnerability and judgmentalism and unforgiveness and all those negative things. Absolutely, that is right on. Jesus said, right, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross, meaning that instrument of death, that's where your self-life dies. But often we get this mixed up and we end up dying to the wrong things, like the good things that God intended for us to enjoy that would make us whole. Things like friendships, wholesome friendships. I'm not talking about Facebook friends. Wholesome friendships, um, joy, music, beauty, laughter, creation, nature. And sometimes we end up like, ah, for whatever reason, dying to the wrong thing. That's unhealthy. Sometimes we live with this sort of attitude, denying the past's impact on the present. Oh, whatever happened back then, it doesn't have anything to do with what's going on right now. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. (laughs) <laughs> I just had an illustration. Anyway, I'm not going to go there. But bottom line is that I know we want to put the past in the past. And it's wrong to use the past against somebody. That's why we despise it when our spouse does that, right? Come on. Or when anybody does that. We don't want to use the past against each other. But we do need to acknowledge that who you are today in some way, shape, or form is a result of what has happened in your past. So you do need to bring up the past in order to move forward. And if you keep denying it, you're going to live a disintegrated life, which brings me to the next one. When you divide your life into secular and sacred compartments, when you say, I've got my church life here, I've got my home life here, I've got my work life here, I've got um, my, my life with my friends over here, And then you end up kind of being a different person in all those different compartments. And then you end up like getting stressed out in some of these compartments of your life. And in order to cope with all the stress, you create a secret compartment over here. This is your addicted life. 
And you just put whatever you want in that, in that box. And you compartmentalize. And that, my friends, is called a life that is on the verge of disintegration. Everything is compartmentalized. You know, secular. So, listen, it's all spiritual. It's all spiritual. I know we use the term because we don't know any other term to use to categorize the activity of God. But God's activity spans the, the, uh, the arenas not only of church life and ministry. They span the, the arena of your workplace, of your emotions, of your marriage, of your parenting, right? uh, of your education. It span, the kingdom spans it all, folks. So stop compartmentalizing it. You get, you're in trouble. How about this one? Here's a symptom. That I'm, in all, I'm always in doing mode for God instead of being with God. The guest keynote speaker that spoke at our conference uh, told his story, and he talked about how he was addicted to work. That's what this is. It's doing for God. He was a pastor. But it could be any arena of life where you are addicted to what you are doing because somewhere in the mix, you found your identity in what you do. And so if you took away that job, you would lose your identity. Does that make sense? This is why it's so difficult for many, many times when people retire from a job, it's hard for them to retire because that was their identity. It wasn't just a job. In the same way, we can carry that principle over to God where we just end up doing and doing and doing for God, but realize, didn't realize that God didn't design us to be human doings. He designed us to be human being with God and out of that relationship with God, the way it was supposed to work is out of that friendship comes the energy and the life and the wisdom, right, and the strength to do for God. But it's out of that overflow of that life of being with God that we do for him. We don't do for him because we're addicted to work for him. We don't need to be needed by God. Do you, you get it? Like I've met people in, in the history of our of my life in, in ministry, I've, I'm one of them, right? Like where you realize that I'm doing this because I really like to be liked or I need to be needed or I need to lead. You see, it's the motive underneath. And until you address some of those issues underneath, your, your spiritual growth will be stunted. Here's another one. So how about this? Spiritualizing away conflict. Because <laughs> we don't like conflict in the local church. Well, you do conflict all the time in your family in an unhealthy way, most of us, right? But when we become believers, it's like, oh, no, you're not supposed to fight. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this will help. We weren't called, Jesus didn't call us to be peacekeepers. He called us to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. There's a difference. Peacekeepers don't address the source of the conflict. They just try to avoid it. Peacekeep I'm sorry, peacekeepers don't address the source of the conflict. They avoid it. Peacemakers address the false notions of peace, the false peace that sometimes exists. Yeah, you know, ever experienced that? Like you know that in a situation, in a relational setting, in a friend grouping, in a family, maybe even in a church, Something's not right with so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. I don't get it. 
What's going on? And then we, we just, you know, we're talking it up. And, and it was, oh, shh, don't talk about that because, okay, okay. Well, and, and, it's, and what should be happening as we're maturing in the family of Jesus is we should be addressing the source of those conflicts with maturity. But we don't know how to do that. That's why we're learning how to be emotionally healthy disciples of Jesus. Because in the family of Jesus, things don't get done the same way they were done in your family of origin. Because, hey, pastor, the way we did conflict, everyone just swept it under the rug. That's how we did it. Suck it up and move on. All right. And then when we become Christian, we just, we, we just, spiritualizing it just becomes another way of sweeping it under. Say, ouch! Oh, man. All right, never mind. Another thing we do is we cover up brokenness, weakness, and failure. Um, enough said about that. Number nine, we live without limits. That's how you know. We just keep saying yes to everything. We keep answering every single doorbell. I was like that. Sometimes I think I still am. I've been, I, I'm a recovering, like, say yes to everything guy, right? Because as a pastor, my understanding was I got into ministry so I can help people, so I need to have the answers for everyone. So if they knock, I answer. What do you need? An answer, I've got one. And if I don't have one, I'll get back to you. That's how I was taught. That's how I was trained. Sometimes it just helps to say I, I don't have the answer. There's the limit. That's the limit of my knowledge right there. I don't know. I need to live with some mystery here. I don't know why they got, you didn't get healed after I prayed and fasted for you. I don't know why it still broke down after we put you through a bunch of counseling. I don't know after, why after all my efforts to help you, you, you still you know, made those terrible choices. I don't know. And you got to learn how to live within the God-given limits of your life. Whew. Number 10. Oh, this is a big one. You're, you're probably broaching the arena of spiritual unhealth and emotional unhealth when all you think about is judging the spiritual journey of other people. Um, maybe not all, but you, you just tend to go there. Instead of looking within, it's so much easier to criticize what you see out here in that other person, right? But did you know sometimes, I, I sometimes wonder about this, the thing that you criticize the most in another person is the thing that often you don't, you really hate about yourself. Isn't that true? Sometimes it can be like that. Okay, so here are the symptoms of this. If this fits you in the category here, then, you know, you need to take the class, man. You need to join us in this journey of becoming emotionally healthy disciples of Jesus. Because this, my friends, is your life. This is your life. The 10% on top of the surface is what everyone sees. It's your behavior. The 90% below the surface is stuff like your values, your beliefs, your worldview, what you really believe about all this stuff, this Christianity thing, what you really think about, you know, um, why things happen the way they do in the world. And then it also includes underneath the surface here these emotions, Fear, shame, anger, rejection, abandonment, all the negative emotions that are underneath the surface that we don't want to touch because we don't know what to do with it. It's murky, right? But listen, the 90% under the surface is the very thing that Jesus and his gospel and his message and his ministry is out to transform. 
And, and what we do is we look for the changes that we can focus on above the surface. But how many of you know that when you try to change the 10% above the surface, the behavior, the actions, the words, that's, that's good, it's noble, well-intentioned, but it's not sustainable. I shared at the, in the first service how, you know, a lot of people have been coming up to me and say, yeah, pastor, you're losing weight, what are you doing, isn't that? And, you know, my standard response is, yeah, I'm, I just stopped eating meat. You know, well, why'd you do that, you know? Um, because I had gout and it was really painful. You know, sometimes you won't change until it's painful enough. In my case, um, I've, you've watched me, and I'll be very vulnerable about this, you, you, you've watched me um, lose weight and gain weight and lose weight and gain weight and lose weight and gain weight over the years. And the reason that was happening was because all I was focused on was the 10% above the surface. I just need to eat right. I just need to diet. I just need to exercise more. I just need to, you know, on and on and on. What I wasn't doing is looking beneath the surface and asking myself the question, why do you want to lose weight? That's just a surface issue. So th that's why what's happening with me right now is sustainable. Because I started going underneath and I started asking my, so here's what happened. You know the story, right? That doctors told me I have a 54-year-old heart. So I went, great, I need to get healthy. Did I get healthy? No. Wasn't painful enough. Then I had gout. Was that painful enough? Yes. Anyone have gout? Don't raise your hand. I, just, you know, I feel you. I'm with you. I just, I, I don't know what to do. I experiment. Try. But what that journey with trying to deal with the pain in my physical body did for me was it moved me under the surface and I started asking myself questions like, what kind of life do you really want to be living 15 years from now, Ken? Like, do you really want to see your kids grow up, get married, have, grand, have their kids of their own? What do you want written on your tombstone? What do you want written in your eulogy when you're gone? You see, then, you started, then I started encountering all these lies that I had grown up with about my own body. Because you know, some of you know my story, uh, my history of sexual abuse and, and going through that trauma. That the lie that came through that was that your body is bad. Because your body, because of this, and it created all this dissonance in you. That I, I grew to hate my body. That's why I had this like love-hate relationship with it on the surface. Until I started getting down into, into the deep part of it where I started going, man, I need, I need some help with this, you know. And listen, the help didn't just come in the form of therapy. The help came in the form of people in the body of Jesus Christ that I trusted and I could be myself with. Listen, folks, this is what you need. This is what we need. This is why we did the whole Love Well conference, because connection, intimate connection, healthy connection will go a long way in healing some of the wounds. Will it heal all of it? Probably not. But man, I'm telling you, we need that environment for us to get whole. All right. Sorry, I'm taking you so deep, but here it is, all right? You heard some of this if you were at the conference, but there's an example of um, a man in the Bible who just lived on the surface of the 10% of his life, never decided to go deep enough. His name was King Saul. Saul was probably the most uh, prolific example of a guy who, <laughs> on the surface, was a great leader, strong man. The Bible says he stood a stature tall above everyone else. He was a, 
He was a good-looking dude. He was probably ripped. He was probably the guy that everyone on the, on the when they when they went out into the you know on the playground they were like I want Saul on my team you know uh, he's the captain he was the dude that was naturally geared towards leadership and God chose well he he ended up becoming king of Israel and in the early years Saul was you know it says in the Bible he was small in his own eyes meaning he might have had all this wonderful giftedness natural born leader but. He was also humble at the beginning. And so he served as king of Israel. God anointed him. Samuel, the judge, the prophet, anointed him. And then there was this episode in Samuel 15 where Samuel gives Saul a a mission and an assignment. And he basically tells Saul, um, you're going to go out to battle the enemy. In this case, it was the Amalekites. And I want you to wipe the Amalekites out, okay? This is, thus says the Lord, wipe out these people. Now, we're not going to go into the reasons why, because I know this creates problems for some people. Why does God do that? Why does he command, you know, those kinds of things to his, to his people? That's a whole other topic. But just, just work with me for a moment here. He says to Saul, to Saul you're going to wipe out completely the, the, this people, and you're going to not take any of the loot, like any of their, the stuff that you get, the spoils of war, I want you to get rid of it all, okay? So Saul goes on, and he mobilizes his army, and he carries out some of what Samuel told him to do, but he doesn't do all of it. So this is what Samuel told him to do, that was what Saul did. It says, Saul and the army spared Agag, who is the king of the Amalekites, and he spared the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised in the week they totally destroyed. In other words, Saul basically got to the battle and got to, you know, they won the battle. They, they said, okay, their instructions were to destroy everything, but man, you know what? Let's be pragmatic here, man. We could use some of this stuff. This is good stuff. Don't waste it. Keep it. Don't destroy it. So they didn't destroy everything. And so it says here, then Samuel shows up, and he, he goes up to Saul, and, and Saul greets him, and he says, hey, Sam, prophet, the Lord bless you, man. We're having a great day. Like, Saul is in a good mood. And he goes, I carried out all the Lord's instructions. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all taken care of, man. And Samuel's like, well, then what? What is this, like, bleating of sheep that I hear in the background then? You were supposed to destroy all of it. Saul goes, no. Because, see, as far as Saul is concerned, he did carry out all the Lord's instructions. How did he know? Well, because no one around me is complaining. That's how I know. And we're going to find out that under the surface, something really is going on in Saul's heart. Because... The amazing thing here is he doesn't really know that he's got baggage. He thinks he did everything that was asked of him, but Samuel tells him point blank. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Watch, 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 watch. Look. He says, but I did obey the Lord, said Saul. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites, brought back their king, Agag. Agag. Don't name your kid that, by the way. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder. What's wrong with that, dude? 
the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them. In other words, Sam, like, we, our intentions were good in not obeying God. We were going to use all this good stuff to offer him a, a pleasing sacrifice. And then Samuel goes, famous words. He says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, Saul, as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed or to listen is better than the fat of rams. See, what we come to see about Saul here is that nearly for his whole life as a leader, he just never really lets God fully in to his life. He never gets fully honest with the Lord in himself. He never pushes pause long enough to listen to what God is saying through the prophet. In fact, he denies that he even listened at all. He's like, I did listen. I obeyed. What are you talking about? So watch this. Here are, from Saul's life, a few things that become um, qualities of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. The first thing we see here is that Paul, Saul says no to self-awareness. I'm not going to be aware. Don't worry. That's not important. That's for sissies. We just need to get out there and accomplish the mission. Job, mission accomplished, we're done. He, there's no room in his life for personal reflection and self-awareness. It's almost like he's refusing to go down that road. It takes Samuel to confront him very firmly before he starts to crack a little. Now watch, you're going to see this in a second. Because the real problem starts to surface. After Samuel starts to, to re rebuke Saul and he starts to, to, to exhort Saul, Saul finally starts to crack a little. Watch this. The next verse, or actually in uh, verse 30, he says, okay, fine, Sam Saul, Samuel, I have sinned. But watch. <laughs> Please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean? Like, please honor me. Hang on. You just confessed your sin. But then why, do you, why are you concerned more about your image than your sin? Come back with me so that it'll be, so everyone will see that I, everything's still good with me. You see, Saul, what was Saul's problem? Under the surface, he was afraid of people. He lived to please people and not to please the Lord. His leadership was oriented around whatever people think is best. Whatever will get me in good graces with people. See, the fear, some of us call that the fear of man under the surface. And then, then Samuel goes even deeper, man. Like, you start to see this because he, he's like, he's hung up on, I've sinned, I've violated the Lord's commandment and your instructions. Watch this. He actually admits it. Watch. I was afraid of the men. So I gave in to them. So now I beg you, let's just forget about this, right? Forgive my sin, come back with me so that I may worship the Lord and everything can snap back to the way it was. And Samuel says, this is not a snap back kind of situation, Saul. This is a deeper issue under the surface of your life that if you don't deal with it, God is going to reject you as king. You're going to disqualify yourself as king. So that's exactly what happens. And listen, Saul's, Saul's situation in life gets really, it gets increasingly worse. He refuses to 
not only saying, uh, he refuses to be a more reflective person and a more self-aware person, he also refuses to cultivate a personal relationship with God. Or I like to say it this way, he refuses to cultivate a personal history with God. And he just keeps his relationship with God at the surface level. It's one thing to grow up in religion and to be told why you shouldn't do certain things. It's another thing to explore the reasons why you actually don't want to do certain things. Does it make sense? Getting underneath the why. That's the key. Saul gets worse. Not only is there fear, not only is there arrogance and pride underneath the surface, but we find out later on in the story, Saul becomes even more jealous, more insecure, more angry and tormented. That when this young kid named David kills a giant, Saul starts to get a little jealous and afraid. And one day, he's so tormented, he's depressed, um, he's isolating himself. And his, his staff looks at him and goes, man, I don't know what to do to get him out of his shell. Maybe we should find someone to play some music for him and it'll soothe his soul. So who do they find? David. David ends up playing the harp in King Saul's court in his, in his room and it soothes Saul's spirit. Does that help Saul? A little bit, temporarily. But one day, Saul is sitting there listening to the harp, and the Bible says he has a spear right next to him. And I don't know what snapped, but he takes the spear, and he hurls it at David. And good thing David had a good sense to duck. What is that about? That's all the pride, the jealousy, the insecurity under the surface leaking out. There's a Saul in every one of us. Saul is the guy that not only will re refuses to be self-aware, he not only refuses to cultivate a deep personal relationship with God, he also refuses to learn and let God shape him through difficulties and setbacks. Um, Saul is a tragedy. And if we don't deal with the Saul in all of us, parts of our life are going to throw our whole trajectory into tragedy. I've watched pastors. I, I told someone the other night, um, when, I first pa pastored here, when I first started pastoring here in Harbor City, I would meet pastors that someone described it to me one time as a pastor's graveyard. And I went, are you kidding me? All these guys that are trying to do ministry, but their inner life, there's something missing. You know what I mean? Like they're trying to be successful in ministry, trying to serve people. They have good intentions, but on the inside, there's something going on. Their inner emotional life is, is not very healthy. So we are in a season in our church life, folks, where I want us to stop saying no like Saul said no to these things. I want us to start saying yes to stuff. Like Jesus said yes. He was a son, Hebrews says, who suffered and learned obedience from what he suffered. Isn't that powerful? 
Like he redeemed the suffering by saying, God, I know I don't get it, but I know you're in it, and I'm going to trust you and learn and submit to your shaping through this suffering. It's powerful. So say this with me. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. Yes to self-awareness. Yes to a personal friendship with God. And yes to God shaping me through difficulty. That's what emotional health and emotionally healthy spirituality is all about. Say, Pastor, we still love you. Just kidding. You don't need to say it if you don't really do it. I want us to close today by doing an exercise that will help get you connected a little bit. Because part of emotional healthy discipleship is realizing that all the professionals that are in helping professions don't have all the answers. Jesus has the answer. I'm not saying that those are bad things um, because I think there's place for all of that and we do um, want you to get you know, other skilled help if you have issues. But there's something about the body of Christ that is healing. Jesus lives in all of us and when we're collectively gathered, there is a mystery to his presence that can be wholesome and healing for us as we begin to let our guard down and connect with each other as Jesus' followers. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to get into groups of two or three because there may be some uneven um, numbers. Two or three adults. And I want you to share with each other one thing. Only one. Say only one. One thing you're thankful for or happy about. And then I want you to share one thing that you're anxious or fearful about, okay? And don't take like forever, just, you know, share it. This is like getting under the iceberg. If you were at the conference, we talked about this and we did this exercise, part of it. Get under there, identify it, okay? And then I want you to come out of that time by, you know, don't, don't offer solutions to each other. Don't be like, oh, you know what, here's this verse. I, it's a really great verse I read. Don't, don't do that. Just listen to each other. Affirm each other. Just say, I hear you. Um, and then when you're done, I want you to pray for each other. Say a quick prayer. It doesn't have to be like, you know, long King James Version prayer. Just, just pray a prayer. Jesus, touch my brother, touch my sister in this place where they're fearful. Thank you. Amen. Good? If you're married and you have your spouse with you in the room, you might want to do this with your spouse. If you're not, if, you don't, if you're not with, here with somebody that you know well, it's okay. You can ask them to stand in the place of someone that you want to say this to. Or you can just share in general. It doesn't have to be super deep. You know, for some of you, you just need to keep it light. Okay? If you're right now and you're in heavy conflict with your significant other, um, just, just try to keep it light right now and know and acknowledge, you know what, there are, there are things we need to deal with and we're committed to each other. Maybe that's all this needs to be about, okay? Take a moment. I'm going to give you we have 10 minutes, but I'm going to give you five. <laughs> and then we'll see how we're doing, okay? Say, yes, Pastor. Thank you for affirming me. Okay, all right. On your mark, get set, go.
As you're wrapping up your prayer, let's stand together and uh, let's just sing this chorus. Father, we thank you for this time and that we were able to just sense the love that flows from your heart to us through each other. Honor every prayer that's been prayed over our fears, over our anxieties, over our troubles, Lord. And encourage us, I pray, give us the courage to take that deeper step into the depths the 90% below the iceberg that you want to change. Just give us that courage. And then we pray for healing, Lord, in the relationships that are represented in this room. Husbands and wives, sons and daughters, uh, siblings, Father, friend groupings. Lord, I just pray that you bring health and strength into those and that there would be, they would leave today with a, a sense of hope about the future. Only you, Lord, can generate that hope in our hearts, Jesus. So if Holy Spirit, come, anoint us, strengthen us, and change us deeply. We thank you, Father, for this time. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.